This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. My gosh, you boys already know. I'm not letting that Ramsey boy come over and play until you clean up your rooms. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and 2020 wasn't at all the year we were expecting. So the question is, how do you get back on track after unexpected events? Here to help us sort through this question, first, it's the retirement answer man himself, Roger Whitney. Next, she had to deal with her fair share of crazy events last year. From the Afford Anything podcast, it's Paula Pant. And last, he has to deal with my curveballs day in and day out. It's OG. And later, today, instead of fintech, we have a cool life tech segment. Want to be happier? Here to talk about his new life happiness journal, author and host of the Goldstein on Gelt podcast, Doug Goldstein. To bring it all home, we'll make sure to magnify a lucky listener's money, and I'll get athletic when I share my sporty trivia. And now, a guy who isn't athletic because he says he's, quote, saving his knees to dominate the 85 and over marathon category later on, it's Joe Salciha. I will be the fastest of all three of that age group's runners. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Salciha, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me here, celebrating the birth of another weekend, it's Mr. OG. Exactly what I do every Friday. Just celebrate births of weekends. And, and starting at 6 a.m. too. The drinks are out. We're ready to go. Six. What are you slacking? This thing's usually out at like 1 a.m. It's a good, good point. That is good point. Yes. And we record it minutes before people hear it at That's 1 a.m. Yes. That's a sacrifice right there. And the woman who uh, had her shares, as Doug said so eloquently, of uh, 2020 issues, it's uh, Miss Paula Pant from Afford oh, Anything. Man. My 2020 was so full of issues, it deserves its own magazine rack. <laughs> it, so. it, it really does. You know, it's, somebody said on Twitter just the other day, they're like, I just want everybody to stop telling me what a dumpster fire 2020 was. Just please stop telling me because I don't need it anymore. <laughs> Let's just look forward, Paula. Let's look in the forward mirror instead of in the, the windshield instead of the the Ford mirror. What the hell am I talking <laughs> about? Forward mirror. So amazing. <laughs> 2021 starting out on a it's so great <laughs> i think yes i think that's called looking ahead yes with your eyes in the forward mirror 
and the guy who always has his eye on the forward mirror, he's back to save the show. Mr. Roger Whitney joins us again. Joe, I can't believe you just did that to me. What did I do? You talk about OG working for the weekend, and you know what instantly comes into my mind? Lover boy. A man looking at him from behind in tight red leather pants. <laughs> from the song, Everybody's Working for the Weekend, <laughs> Lover Boy. Paula has no idea who we're even talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about, but it's I am song. at the moment Everybody's wearing tight, hot pink pants. You are wearing that tight, hot pink pants. i my image for the rest of the year now. What, that Paula's wearing Lover tight boy. pants? Lover boy. Oh, the lover boy. Yes. OG in tight leather red pants is going to be seared into my mind for the rest of the year. I make him look good. What are you going to do? He just, hey, just <laughs> own it. No shame in my game. Yeah. Own it. As if OG in tight pants is not amazing enough. You want to hear something else amazing? You pay off your credit cards every month. Like you should discover matches all the cash back. You earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn. How amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places Discover's accepted 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. And uh, my daughter, her first card was a Discover card. She still pays it off every single month. Well, we're going to pave the way to a much better weekend for you. We're going to talk about getting the train back on the tracks. We got Roger here. We got Paula. We got OG. Let's get this party started. No celebrity reader today because the piece that we're working from, we will link to in the show notes page, and we're not going to spend a lot of time with it because even though uh, our producer Karen and I read this piece, it really is going to be more of an inspiration for this topic than uh, us going through the points. And this is from the finance bar. The piece is called Replenish After Recovery, How to Get Back on Track After Unexpected Events. And in her piece, she talks about establishing a sense of normalcy, prioritizing all debts, and explore ways to generate more income. And finally, to be patient with yourself. She's got those four. But I thought that we we really should spend time with this because – Roger, I'll start with you as our guest. You're working with people right on the verge of retirement or in retirement, and life has already thrown them a curveball. But man, it seems like whenever we were prepping for retirement with clients back when I was an advisor, there's always a curveball at the last minute you didn't expect. There definitely is. And that's one reason why if you're getting ready to retire, you want to start aligning yourself for that landing sooner than later so you can minimize the impact of some of those curveballs. Because the more you're on track from a financial perspective, and that could be building your liquidity for, hey, how are you going to live without a paycheck? To building the liquidity with in terms of sequence of return risk, it can really be a shocker. In, in January, as an example, Joe, we're doing Retirement Plan Live, and the subject, Trish, was planning at retiring at age 55, had been at the company 30 years, and just got laid off. And she is in a whirlwind because she thought she had a four year time window to make all these plans and it was accelerated for her. So yeah, you want to make sure that uh, you, you do this right. And yet Paula, we hear people all the time use these rules of thumb, right? That you got to be in a certain place at a certain time. And uh, a question that you and I and OG and Roger get all the time is how do I maximize every tax shelter and track every penny? 
But it seems mm-hmm. like when the rails go wrong, that that makes it worse. One thing that's a double-edged sword is that when people who have a strong degree of interest in personal finance or retirement planning or financial independence, when you get too caught up in compound interest charts and you see how a difference of- Which we all do from month, time to time. Let's be realistic. It, it's true. It's who, true. Has, who hasn't found themselves on an airplane for three hours just pouring over- Compound interest charts, just for fun. It happens. It totally happens. You know, when when you drink a little too much Kool-Aid and you see the difference that that a latte makes, right? You see the difference (laughs) that an extra 10 bucks a day makes, then all of a sudden it it can become very tempting to want to over-optimize everything because in your head, you're like, geez, if I can just squeeze an extra 10 bucks out of this day and I can do that consistently over the span of the next 872 years, then you know, imagine how much that's going to be. And and what happens is that you then kind of live in this like hypothetical bubble where if everything goes according to plan, you can uber optimize and, and everything will be great. And it becomes to an extent a little detached from reality. I'll give you a, a quick example. I did a giveaway many, many years ago. I, I did a giveaway on my blog for $75, ran some sort of a contest and I remember somebody left a comment and they were like, wow, that's very generous of you because that $75, if you invested it, would be X amount in, you know, 30 years. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> wow. You should have done that. Oh, gee, that's what we should do. Next time we do a giveaway, we'll give away like $4.50. <laughs> But what we'll do is we'll use what it would be worth. Yeah. We're giving away a million dollars on the Stacking Benjamin show. We'll use the Dave Ramsey 12% return. <laughs> we'll, we'll extrapolate it 240 years into the future. We're giving away a bajillion dollars. Giving your kids a million dollars at age right. 90. <laughs> You're welcome. Yes. And then it five- a little bit right, though, when it comes to like the expenses. It is very silly to sit down and go through, like you said, and go, well, this $10 times every day times infinity. I had a friend of mine who was going through doing that with uh, like Tesla returns and Bitcoin returns and stuff like that. And just going like, oh, dude, all this has to, it just has to happen for like three more years and then I will be great. It's like the fact that it happened in four weeks is just obscene. And you expect <laughs> it's a return for 36 more years. At that pace. Years. Yeah. At the same pace. Like, come right. on. Not realistic. If I win three lotteries. <laughs> Speaking of, I didn't win the Powerball last week. No, so. no. My condolences. It's, but I didn't lose either because nobody won. So that's how I'm framing it. Oh, I thought no. you were going to say the crazy thing that you didn't play, which was my response. But Oh, no. You got to play to win, dude. <laughs> Hello. You're not in the Stacking Benjamins lottery pool? I'm, oh, I'm, I guess you wouldn't be. The Stacking Benjamins lottery pool be so great is there really one that, that, that would be amazing i did see somebody in our facebook group posted that they were gonna do a, a raffle for their stimulus check it was 50 dollars an entry 20 or, people uh, 20 people. or no 50 people i was like 50 people, 50 people. I, either way yeah. i was like that's a hell of a good idea actually yeah like, <laughs> like that's that way that's a win-win-win you've got a one in 40 chance or something one in 50 chance to get another 600 bucks or whatever it is and yeah this guy's going to make 2000 So Give away okay. your stimulus check. Nice job. Where do, the giveaway. It was a lottery. Where, where do we start? Oh, gee. The wheels are off the bus. The train is off the track. The uh, airplane. The horse has left the barn. The horse has left. 
airplane has not made it to the runway. The goose is overcooked. Where do you begin when it comes to putting Humpty Dumpty back together? Wow. That is, that is a smorgasbord of analogies. Uh, you have to start at the bottom. And it, it sounds really silly to do that because all the cool stuff happens later. You know, when do you get to invest in IPOs or start a business or, you know, that kind of fun stuff? It's when everything else is going right. And if things aren't going according to plan, you have to build it the right way. You know, you have to build it by doing all the boring stuff first. But the boring stuff is what allows you the flexibility to, like you said, Roger, with your case study there, have the flexibility to make other choices. You know, like, hey, I've got all this. I've got all this time. I've got four years to retire. Oh, crap. But my guess is, is that she also is quasi prepared in order to be able to weather that a little bit and not starting over from complete scratch, you know? So if last year wasn't a particularly great year and you got in over your head, you have to do the things the right way. You have to make sure that you've got a good cash reserve. You know, last year stressed that for a lot of people, a lot of people figured out three months of cash reserve plus a discover card wasn't quite enough for your cash reserve. You know, you needed a little bit more. So it's just important to start at the basics and and do it the right way. And I would say that when it comes to like looking at expenses and all that sort of stuff, listen, everything counts. You should be completely okay with like putting everything on the table. I know it's easy to go like, but I really like my insert thing here. Just put it on the, just put it on the table just to see what's there. Don't have any, don't have any things that are you're holding back for Oh, I'm not going to count that. You know, just put it all out there and see what comes of it when you let your mind work with all of the information. Roger, Paula talked about optimizing everything. OG talked about putting things together the right way in a year like last year for a lot of people when they have to rebuild. Do you plan that way from the beginning or is it easier to rebuild? In other words, do I optimize knowing that I may need to unoptimize later or re-optimize Or do I begin with a high degree of flexibility so that I can shift ahead of time and maybe not have everything optimized so I miss out on a little bit of a return today, knowing that I might not have to change the plan later? Yeah, I think you definitely want to have a lot of flexibility. I'm an agile kind of guy. That's the kind of process that we use in our practice. And Paula makes a really good point about this optimization thing. It's something that we can get caught up in chasing and it forgets about Slack in a system. There's a lot of value to Slack in a system. Like if you ever planned out your day, right? And you have your time blocks and they never work out because things happen. And if you don't have enough Slack in your calendar, you get overwhelmed and you fall behind. That's why Roger plans nothing on any day. Where am I at? Oh, I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> and so when it comes to cash reserves, The problem is that we think about it as inefficient, right? Because we're earning 1% or whatever you can get online. But the returns on cash reserves are asymmetric. And we don't realize that a lot of times, right? Because cash is like a airbag, right? When financially something happens to you in life, it prevents you from hitting the financial windshield. Because what happens if you don't have the liquidity? You're going to have to go earn more money really quickly. You're going to have to cut your expenses. You're going to have to borrow money or you're going to have to sell something at the wrong time. And that's where the return of having cash comes from a protection standpoint. And on the flip side, where cash is really king is when you have liquidity when everybody else doesn't, because that's when you can buy bargains. 
that's so asymmetric and that payoff on the that liquidity you won't see year by year like you would a compounding chart but you may see it every five or six years but it's big when you see it and i think that's the thing that we forget about when we're trying to optimize i love that idea by the way of having about money in the the emergency fund that allows you to make better decisions because man i remember when i was in financial trouble I just had to do whatever job would pay me the quickest. You know, I would have, hey, this costs a little more, big deal. I can take care of it now because time was was a priority instead of every dollar. And I ended up wasting so much money, Roger, because I didn't have that leverage behind me. I was just reading a piece by a future guest who was an NFL player. And he was talking about how NFL owners love the players to be broke, to spend all their money. Because if they spend all their money, then the front office can negotiate much harder with them on the next contract. Joe, you remember that from a sales trainer we had at Ameriprise, whose number one thing was go buy something that has payments on it. Right. Because you're going to work really hard. Right. Most so old school in it. <laughs> Just so not ridiculous. On your, on your Porsche alone. Yeah. Like you want a Porsche? Go get one. You know, because when that payment's due and it's 800 bucks and, and your commission check is 650, guess what you're going to figure out how to do? Make another 150 bucks to pay your car payment. No, yeah. you learn how to hide it from the repo guy. That's what you learn. Right. Not good. <laughs> Not good. When the horse is out of the barn, you can't close the door by then, right? So if life has really hit you and you didn't have this liquidity, I think that's the next thing. What do you do? The first steps are, like OG said, is nothing sacred. Liquidity is king. And being able to extend whatever cash reserves you have to get through that interruption of income, which is your superpower, that's first and foremost. So first is you want to preserve liquidity as long as you can. Pay the minimum on everything, cut whatever expenses that you can. And then the second thing is to re- this is why you cultivate a really good personal and professional network and you keep that Sound because personally, you're going to need your foxhole buddies to love on you because you're you just got punched in the face and you're on your butt. And professionally, you're going to need your professional network to go help you find a job. And those two things are going to be critical. I want to follow up on that because at the bottom of this piece, they talk about generating more income. But Paula, you and OG have known Roger like I have for quite a long time. And he had this airbag analogy that was pretty cool. How long do you think it took Roger to come up with that, Paula? Ah, <laughs> uh, geez, that's that feels like almost like a trick question. Don't you think he worked on that? Like he's been working on that analogy for a long, long time. So I will say, and this is maybe more of a philosophical answer than you were aiming for, but in the process of reading and writing and speaking and thinking about money, your brain is kind of always incubating different analogies and ideas. And so for as long as Roger has been involved with the topic of money, I would say to that extent, that analogy was brewing. Way, way to take my little piece of comedy there and turn it into a gem. Know, right? Good work. <laughs> Good work. Nice job. On this idea of earning extra money because you need it to pay your bills, we have a, a family friend who is dealing with no income. Mm. And literally, this was a quote. I am an executor leader. Being a barista is below me. Oh, that's the kind of nothing is below you when you need to pay your bills. And there's nothing that is demeaning other than, you know, that's lawful <laughs> when you need to pay your bills. 
you do what you can to feed yourself and take care of your family. And I think that's really important to hold on to. I try not to have that. I don't know. I mean, my personal thing, I just try not to have this beneath me aspect. Attitude. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels a little ladder climbing to me. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I told a story about the time where I, uh, it was in 2000, the recession in 2007 through 2009, that recession. And I'd gone into this subway that was near my house. And the, the old guy that worked behind the counter, he was always so nice and like, hey, how you doing? He's making sandwiches. And I just, you know, I went probably once a week to this sub shop. And I was like, dude's just doing what he can do. I wouldn't want to be working at a sub place at 55 years old, but dude's just, and he's doing it with a smile. And about a year and a half later, I was at our uh, golf club and I was sitting at the bar and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this guy and I'm going, I recognize him from somewhere. And I asked the bartender, I said, who's, who's that guy that was just in here? She goes, oh, that's uh, Mr. So and who's it? I go, uh, is he on TV or something? He's a news guy. Like, was he? She goes, no, he owns like 10 subways. Mm. I'm like, ah, yes. It's like the millionaire next door. Yeah, well, he was. And, yeah. and he was demonstrating it for everybody. He wasn't, it wasn't beneath him to work the lunch crowd. He was there with the plastic gloves on and cutting the bread and, you know, all that sort of stuff. He wasn't standing there on the pile of money telling everybody what to do. He was. He was I don't there. care how much weight Jared lost back in the day. I would weigh 800 pounds if I worked that job. I'd be eating all the product. My boss would come in and go, hey, where's the, I'm sorry. Looks smell like we killed it. subs today. You're like, well, <laughs> I killed I subs. killed it. Yes. Paul, I want to end though on this one. Roger brought up making money. The wheels have come off the bus. At what point do you then turn to different ways to make more money? And what are some of the first places people should turn to make more money? Well, I would say you turn to it even even when things are good, even when you've got your full-time job, in my opinion, always have multiple streams of income coming in so that you have a little bit of that diversity there. You don't want to put all of your your income eggs in one basket. Now, the extent to which you do this, of course, is going to vary based on what kind of job you have. If you are a lawyer or an anesthesiologist, it's probably not a great use of your time to be selling candles on Etsy. So in a case like that, you might opt for multiple streams of income that's optimized for passivity. Maybe you buy a class A rental property in all cash, and that gives you a stream of passive income, but it, you know it, it takes up very little of your time. By contrast, if you have... If you were like me, you know, uh, if if you're an, a newspaper reporter, let's say, and you've got some, you know, it wasn't the world's most demanding job. I mean, I, I worked, but, you know, there are certainly jobs out there that are more demanding than that. And so if you've got that time and during your time off that you could build some kind of a side hustle, you could do some sort of a freelance thing, do that even when things are going well. So that that way, if you were to lose your job, uh, like the story that Roger told about the the woman who was laid off four years before retirement, you know, you want to be in a position where instead of losing 100% of your income, you're only losing 80% of your income. Roger, you and OG have known Paula for a long time. I'll ask you this question. She had an awesome analogy about eggs in a basket. How long you think it took her to come up with that? Not put all your eggs in one basket. I think she had eggs this morning. That's how she came up with it. Was it scrambled or over easy? No, I did not. I do eat eggs fairly regularly. Probably have, I've had them within the last week, but not this morning. The serious answer to the jokey question. Do you notice that? (laughs) (laughs) Collecting her eggs and had them all in one basket and fell. Was it an Easter Easter basket? That's really what we wanted. Basket. (laughs) Multiple baskets. Were they colored eggs? (laughs) And there it is. That's the way we bring this plane in for a landing. Right, OG? 
Perfect. Yes. Fantastic. We'll link to this piece on our show notes uh, page at stackingbenjamins.com. Well, if you're like me, you know that pets have gotten us through this uh, last year and the pandemic and (laughs) just in dealing with uh, stress in general. I know right now at our new house, Cooper the cat does not like the kitchen. It's this long, narrow kitchen and the stove is about halfway back and his his bowl is in the back of the kitchen and man, does he have trouble. And what's funny is watching his trouble dealing with the fact that the stove and the dishwasher are between him and his food and all those weird noises completely gets rid of my trouble for the day. I'm like, man, I wish that that was all I had to worry about was that the dishwasher might be between me and lunch. But, but, but generally, Cooper's a super happy guy and he obviously makes us super happy. And the place that helps us with all that is PetSmart. From the beginning of the pandemic, PetSmart's been an essential retailer, making sure you can get everything that your pet needs right when you need it at over 1,600 convenient locations like the one right off Richmond Road in Texarkana. In PetSmart stores, cleaning and disinfecting protocols follow CDC recommendations. Stores and grooming salons offer digital check-in, curbside drop-off and pickup, and contactless payment And now PetSmart offers free same-day delivery powered by DoorDash through January 31st, 2021. So you can get everything your pet needs right to your door and right when you need it. And of course, as you already know, PetSmart's associates are pet lovers and caring for them is a big part of why they work there. And as an essential retailer since the beginning of the pandemic, PetSmart's made it safe and easy for you to care for your pet too, online or in stores. PetSmart... The health and safety of employees, pet parents, and pets is what's most important. That's why they require face coverings, support social distancing, and have installed plexiglass shields and enhanced cleaning to follow CDC recommendations. Or if you're interested in completely contactless shopping, just order online, PetSmart.com, or on the PetSmart app and enjoy easy curbside pickup or free same-day delivery powered through DoorDash by January 31st, 2021. So you can get everything your pet needs right to your door and right when you need it. Check out PetSmart.com for more details. I'm super happy here on what's normally our Friday FinTech segment to introduce you to a gentleman who's been a friend of mine for a long time. Uh, his name's Doug Goldstein. He is a financial advisor in Israel and works with a lot of expats. And uh, Roger, you're friends with Mr. Goldstein as well. Doug is a wonderful guy. Goldstein on Gelt, his podcast, and now he has a book. He does. Rather than go high tech with our FinTech Friday segment, we're going to go a little lower tech because it is a book. You can read it online. But one thing that Doug Goldstein has always been great at is happiness. He's always a happy guy. He always expresses gratitude. He's here to talk about his new constant happiness gratitude journal to tell you and I and all of us something we can use a lot more of, I think, especially January, start of the year. And if you're living in a place where it's kind of blah outside, a little bit of happiness. Let's say hi to Doug Goldstein. Not my dad, shortwave. I'm so happy I got to talk to him again. Mr. Doug Goldstein joins us. How are you, man? 
I am doing fabulous. Joe, it is long time. I got to say long time no see. And uh, except I see you a lot, you know, <laughs> well, I'm stalking you. Well, <laughs> just, just listen. <laughs> well, let's pull the curtain back a for a second. Talk. You and I, for a long time, had so much fun doing the Money Tree podcast. We mastermind together. And we, though, haven't talked in forever. So even before we hit the record button today, we talked for a good 20 minutes. And I yeah, feel like exactly. we still haven't started. Well, let's get going. <laughs> well, let's talk about the journal. Then we'll hit the stop recording button and finish our other discussion. But you're a finance guy. So when I hear that you have a book about happiness, about a journal on happiness, those two things don't seem like this. Why is a finance guy writing a journal or creating a journal about happiness? You know how a lot of times you'll ask, or at least people ask me is, you know, they come to me as a financial advisor and they go, well, you know, Doug, it's all well and good what you talk about financial planning and asset allocation, but how much money am I going to make? Those of us on the inside of the industry understand that it's not about how much money you're going to make because there's all sorts of other risks that you add when you try to make more money. And I, I spend a lot of time trying to explain this to clients. And what, I, what I've realized and what I, I realized last year is that I spend a lot of time talking to people about the importance of being happy. And money doesn't buy happiness. Maybe you've noticed this. Yeah. No. I, well, and I'm thinking back to when I was a financial planner. And I thought some of my wealthiest clients were also some of my most miserable clients. Miserable. It's true. It's true. You know, you meet, you speak to people and, uh, you know, a lot of times I, I, I speak to clients who got an inheritance. That's possibly the worst way to get the money. Uh, a, because unfortunately you lost someone unless you hated them, but then they probably didn't give you the money. Right. But the second reason is you have no experience with money. And all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting on a million dollars and you've got, you're not sure what to do with it. And you've got a huge amount of guilt and I cannot tell you the number of times that I've actually had clients who burned through the money within a few years and millions of dollars. You know, they, they never had the money. They burned through it. Well, and and I've also seen studies that show that you are more likely to burn through money because it feels like found money, even though your relative or whoever it was that, that gifted you this money, Doug, they work their butt off for it. it you didn't. And because you right. didn't, you're more likely to do frivolous things with it. And because of that... Your quality of life, actually, you know, your happiness, I've heard, goes down But for that reason, too. Right. I think the problem, and really what to relate what you're saying to what I tried to write about a little bit, is that uh, the problem is that the people just aren't grateful for whatever they got because they didn't work for it. They didn't think about what it was all about. They just got it. And the key to happiness is gratitude. If you can be grateful for the things that are going on around you, you'll just be happier. And I'm sure you've seen this up and down your career, that people who, you can have happy people who have a lot of money, happy people who don't have a lot of money. It's just whether they're grateful for the things that they have, for their family, their friends, even the stuff. There's nothing wrong with liking the stuff that you have and being, but you actually have to say, you know, it is awesomely cool that I got a, a Logitech camera that I can see Joe Saul Sihai when I'm talking to him. Like, if you don't appreciate how cool it is, all the great things going on around us, of course you're going to be unhappy. And by the way, if your friends are the type of people who don't appreciate the stuff around them, so of course they're going to be miserable as well, you know, and, and it breeds, the sort of misery breeds. On the other hand, having gratitude, I think also is something that's, that is truly contagious. I want to dive into a bunch of that, what you said and unpack it, because you begin in your journal talking about the people that make you happiness. 
the people that bring you happiness, the person that can most bring you happiness. And I'm thinking, okay, is Doug going to say his, his spouse? Is he going to say it's his kids? Is it going to stay babysitting grandkids? It was none of those things. No, it is a huge problem. You know, that people think that someone else can make me happy. And for anyone who's married or in a relationship, maybe, you know, you're thinking, you know, why does my wife or my girlfriend or my boyfriend or my, my partner always expect me to make them happy? And it's a huge mistake. But you, of course, also shouldn't expect other people to make you happy. You, you have to make yourself happy. You have to decide that you're going to be happy. And again, there's a way of doing it. The way to do it is to have gratitude. So instead of saying, you know, gee, why didn't you buy me a birthday present? Or why didn't you remember it was, you know, our, our anniversary? Instead, think about any little positive thing that goes on. You know, if you, the, the way the, the constant happiness gratitude journal works, and the reason it's called constant happiness, is not that you're necessarily going to be constantly happy. It's that you have to constantly recognize good things around you. So for example, you know, your wife walks in the room and you say, you know, hey, I'm married to her and she likes me and we have a nice house together and she complimented my tie and she did, you know, just go in your mind. You don't have to say it even out loud to start or in the journal, you start writing these things down, little things you write down. And what really happens is it gets you into the habit of having gratitude. And the more gratitude you have, the happier you're going to be. I want to get to that in a second, because I, I th there's a lot there. And obviously that's what the journal's about, but I don't want to miss a big point that we, that we started with when you talk about other people making you happy, which is, I remember actually having this aha, Doug, that I was in a relationship with someone. I was in my early twenties. Everybody thought we were going to get married, but me. Right. <laughs> um, and, and there was kind of this expectation that I was going to, marry this person and we were going to live happily ever after. And I kept thinking, why am I not happy? There was obviously a lever that happened. There was something that happened, but I remember one day realizing, and maybe it was reading Bridge Across Forever. Maybe that was, mm. that was the book. Nice. And I realized in that moment, Doug, that I didn't even know myself, right? I was so mm -hmm. worried about external gratification that I had no idea. I, I just zero idea. And, and I also think that when I would meet with people, when I was a financial planner, it would strike me the two different types of goals. There were goals that were just, yeah, okay, next in line, I need to be ready for this. I need to be ready for that. And if you ask those people, if they were happy, happiness was this ongoing thing, but there was another group of people. And this was the larger group of people that said, I need this because if I get this, if I get this thing in my life, then I will finally be happy. If I right. get this other thing, yeah. I find, it, 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 and frankly, you look at the fire movement, right? A lot of the fire movement, there are people in the fire movement, I believe that are well-meaning and doing great work and saving great for goals, but they have this wrongful feeling that if I just reach this fire spot, that I will finally reach happiness. Mm-hmm. And what you're yeah, saying not. is, yeah, it's a lie. It is a, it's, it's not, it's, 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 it's a lie. It's a process. It's a constant view. Listen, you know, people who are always, who are always saying, well, someday in the future, I'm going to get it. You know, it's like the story of the guy sitting on an Island and a, someone comes over and says, why aren't you, you know, working harder so you can save more money? And the guy goes, well, what am I going to do? He goes, well, then you could, you know, have a company and then what? And then you could have a lot of employees and then what? And then you'll make a billion dollars. And then what? And then you'll be able to retire. And then what am I going to do? Well, then you'll sit on the island. You know? <laughs> like, really? 
you know, just just enjoy every day. The problem is we are. Uh, listen, uh, you know, you you talk about it all the time, and I talk about it. we're all stressed out. Everything from uh, pandemics to politics, and it, it's it's stressful. Life is stressful, and the problem is we don't really know how to deal with that. Now, money is one of the things you know, professionally that I deal with, and I try to lower people's stress level. In fact, a lot of times when I'm talking to a client, when we're all finished, we've done whatever we're going to do, I always say, do you feel a little better now? Isn't that funny? Like your doctor should ask you if you feel better. Why is, what's your financial advisor doing, asking if you're feeling better? And the answer is, I, I can't control the markets, and I can't control what your stocks are going to do, and I, I don't have prophecy, but I can set your portfolio up so that you can feel better. And the way you feel better is you appreciate every little thing going on in your life. And it almost sounds so simple. Just why can't you appreciate the fact that you, you know, pick up the phone, you order a pizza, and 20 minutes later, there's a guy giving you a pizza. We're so spoiled. Sorry, no, no one out, none of your listeners are spoiled. But well, I think we society, are. we're spoiled, you know, and we don't appreciate all what's really happening. We don't stop and say, thanks to whomever we're thankful for, that we've got this. Yeah. And, and before we move on to the system, I want to put a cap back for people that misunderstand what I'm saying about the fire movement. I am, I am, <laughs> I am not saying that it's bad to have aggressive goals. I have aggressive goals. You have aggressive goals, but I'm really excited about the process of reaching those goals. Like I'm excited today where I'm at. I'm excited about the challenge of meeting those goals. And I know that I will be every bit as excited when I reach those goals and I'll celebrate those goals, but it's not that I'm going to get to happiness. I'm going to reach these goals and I'll still be happy. And reaching those goals yeah. will make me happy or maybe and just be happy along the way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. The journey is the journey's half the fun. So just, just enjoy it. But that is a system. And I love your word here, constant, which I want to get back to. So you talk about constant gratitude. So that implies that, that there's a systematic way then, Doug, to do this. Yeah. That's really what I, I think the difference is. You know, a lot of, there are a lot of gratitude journals out there and uh, I'm a big fan of all of them. I just happen to like mine a little better because <laughs> I think that it's not something that you do once in a while. You, you know, there's a, there's a great TED talk by this professor, I think at Stanford named BJ Fogg. And a lot of people have spoken about the habits, James Clear, you know, who wrote the atomic habits. I was about um, to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. Before he was James Clear, I had actually had a chance to speak to him uh, and uh, we had a great conversation. I guess he probably told me the same things he says in his books. You know, he points out the importance of starting small and doing many little things. And that's how you succeed. And in the money world, we know it's the same thing. You're not going to magically know that you should you should buy Apple or whatever, because it's going to go up a million percent. You don't know these things, but you do know that if you save X number of dollars every month, that's how you're going to succeed. And that means you got to save a little bit every day and you got to get in the habit of doing it. That's what the constant happiness gratitude journal is about. You literally all the time, not once a day at night, you sit down for 15 minutes and say, what am I grateful for today? Seriously, if you try that for a few days, you'll discover that uh, you're kind of writing the same thing every night. I'm very grateful that I, you know, have a job and I can go to bed. But how about the fact that I'm very grateful that there was a banister at work that when I slipped on the stair, I was able to grab onto it and I didn't get hurt, right? Or that, you know, there was coffee in the coffee machine when I got to the office. That's huge. I mean, in my life, that's huge. You see, it's got to be specific. It's got to be specific. specific and small. Don't worry about the big stuff. Just, you know, and then when something bad happens, right? So there wasn't coffee that day. All right, fine. It wasn't coffee, but I, you know, lucky I had $2 in my pocket. I could buy a cup of coffee. 
Well, and it's funny how things kind of dovetail. I, in truth, I think it dovetails when you hear it over and over. I'm listening to a Tim Ferriss interview right now with uh, uh, Jim Lair, who talks a lot about managing your manage your energy, not your time. And he talks about the importance of journaling and how important it is to have some specific factors that you're looking at, some things that you're looking at and to be very specific about it. So it's funny. I hear Doug, who's very successful, talk about it. I hear Jim Lair talk about it. Uh-huh. I hear these. And, 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 and I've thought about, there's some things going on with me with, you know, moving and all these things. And I think I need to begin getting systematic about some of these things in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't want it to sound painful in terms of system. The fact is doing the journal is kind of fun and it's not something you have to do forever, right? Literally people who do it for just, you know, an hour or two, all of a sudden they go, that's cool. You know, I didn't even notice that, you know, my desk was clean or that, you know, the pen worked, right? And then I'll say, well, pen, that's cool. It works. I can write whatever I want. You know, they, they just begin to change their mindset a little bit. And then you become, what's the point of building habits, right? One of the things James Clear talks about. The point is, it's not that, not that you achieve a goal, it's that you become the person who achieves that yeah. kind of goal. So if you are constantly recognizing good things, you just become a person who's grateful. Think of your friends and the people you don't like. You know, the people, the guy behind you on the grocery line, right, who's a jerk and is pushing and yells at the cashier because uh, because he's taking too long, right? So that guy doesn't have any gratitude for the fact that there's 14,000 items in the grocery store that he can walk away with. And, uh, you know, he's annoyed because he's got to wait an extra couple of minutes online. That guy's not your friend because he hasn't practiced constant gratitude. I'm laughing because... Is that you? Oh, no. no. Was that you? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just laughing because I'm thinking, well, the normal Joe could just get angry with him, which is, you know, what most of us do. But the new Joe that expresses gratitude says... Well, I'm super happy that I'm not that miserable. (laughs) (laughs) Is that, is that still too much anger? Would that still be too much? Maybe. It's funny. A a number of people who got the book and I was sort of testing it, you know, people I was testing this on. Yeah. They wanted to like negotiate with me. They go, well, exactly what you said. The guy goes, all right, Doug, I'm doing this for a few days. It's great. I really feel good. But I just got to tell you what happened to me at the garage. I took my car and I'm like, just relax, you know, go with the flow, right? You have a car, man. That's awesome, right? You have four wheels. That's tremendous. I, I just think that people are really, really able to change. And just imagine, by the way, think of it always like if you gave it to your spouse, right? And your spouse all of a sudden was very grateful to have you around. Wouldn't that make your marriage a little bit better? So maybe, I mean, apart from A, you could buy it for your spouse, but, you know, d- do it yourself. And then you'll be the type of person that people want to be around, before he went off the rails, Louis C.K. had a bit about gratitude. I don't know if you've heard this one. Have you heard this? About, <laughs> about, about, the, about the, well, just listen. I don't know. I'm not that old. I'm 41. But I'm still amazed at the shit in my life. I'm amazed at the shit in the world. I was on a plane once, like about a month ago, and they had high-speed wireless internet on the plane. And they had never done that before. They explained to us that we were like one of the first aircraft. And I open up my, my laptop, and I'm online. I'm looking at YouTube and shit while we're flying. And then it broke down. And the woman says, I'm sorry, but we have to fix the internet so it's down for the rest of the flight. The guy next to me goes, it's bullshit. <laughs> like, dude, how does the world owe you something you didn't even know existed 30 seconds ago? <laughs> 
planes are the worst. People on planes, they complain. They get off the plane, they come to your house, and they tell you about their whole flight experience. <laughs> and they make it sound like it was a, a cattle car in Poland in the 40s. They just make it, that was the worst day of my life. I had to sit on the runway for 40 minutes. That's a story in this country. That's a hardship that you had to sit on the runway. People will listen to that story. They'll stop doing the dishes and turn around and go, oh my God, really, for 40 minutes? That's awful. You should sue them. I had to sit on the runway for 40 minutes. Oh my God, really? What happened then? Did you fly through the air like a bird? Incredibly? Did you soar into the clouds impossibly? Did you partake in the miracle of human flight? I love the gratitude at the end of that. <laughs> Maybe you have a little gratitude. Yeah, I'll call Louis. I'll see if uh, see what he thinks. Maybe he'll give me an endorsement for the book. I'm, I'm fairly certain you don't need Louis' endorsement, number one. <laughs> and he probably isn't that busy right now either. Yeah, so I hear. Yeah, so I hear. yeah maybe not. Uh, how do people get it? So uh, you can go to Amazon. You can also just, just check out the website at constant-happiness.com. First of all, I'd be very happy to, I would in fact be very grateful for any feedback on it. You can get it as a paperback or as a Kindle. Between you and me, I recommend the paperback just because you can actually write in it. Yeah. It's weird if you have it as a Kindle and you try to write on your screen. It's only good for <laughs> until you ruin your screen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's good the first time for, for, the, for the first one. But there's also been studies done. I've seen these studies. I don't have one in front of me because I didn't know we were going to go here. But just that tactile writing it down, right? The, mm -hmm. the, just the act of, it doesn't matter what you write. Just the act of writing it down locks it in your brain more. Yeah, I, I think it helps. Incident, I mean, the reason we, we have a Kindle version also is because you can also just write it in a in any notebook you want and uh, right. or on your iPhone or Android. You know, I, like, if you're I, one of those people. I like, by the way, some of the prompts that you have about different things to have some gratitude about like the miracle flight. Yeah, that, that is awesome. No, I listen, it's so important. And I just tell you, I just hope that uh, anyone who's listening now is just going to say, let me just stop for one minute and say, the model here is kind of a stream of consciousness. Someone's going to go, Hey, I just listened to a cool interview with, you know, with uh, Doug Goldstein and Joe Salcihi. And, you know, I listen to Joe a lot and I like his podcast. I like, you know, I'm, I'm reminded that I like that he, that he interviewed that lady who wrote the book about Netflix. And I really like Netflix. And my favorite show is the Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit is cool because I learned to play chess when I was a kid and I got to hang out with my father and, you know, we play chess together. And, you know, when people start doing this and this sort of, it sounds strange when someone else does it. And I know that maybe my things I'm gratitude for, grateful for are not your things that you're grateful for. But the idea is that once you start going and you just, it just flows and you might say, but Doug, you sound crazy. You know, how do you get from talking to Joe Salcihi to watching the Queen's Gambit on, uh, on Netflix? And the answer is, it's it's because, you know, this is what I'm grateful for. And all of a sudden you get this like wave of just being grateful. It just makes you happier. I, yeah. I, I strongly recommend people try it. If you want to get the book, I appreciate it, but go for it. I think during times of COVID, we could all be a little, little <laughs> have a little happiness. Holy cow. Mr. Goldstein, by the way, we will link if you're out walking the dog or uh, commuting for those three of you that still commute. We'll have links to everything Doug talked about at our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Mr. Goldstein, thanks for hanging out with us. I appreciate it, man. I, I am very grateful for the opportunity. Good to see you, Joe. Hey, 
trivia fans. I'm your pal, Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And did you know that James Naismith invented basketball on this date in 1891? No? You mean you don't have a tattoo like I do with 1891 and giant cursive letters just above your butt? Just me? Moving on. It's apparent, then, that one of us loves basketball. In fact, I was considering trying out for the Pistons back in Detroit, but I think I'll wait till they decide to go pro again. What, it's too soon? Since basketball becomes a bigger moneymaker nearly every year, how about this one? What was the NBA revenue for the 2019-2020 season? I'll be back with your answer faster than you can posterize someone. The NBA, something we had to drag Paul away from to make this episode. Glued to the television. It's this you're in an undisclosed location, your undisclosed local basketball team. I'm sure you watch all the time. Absolutely. Well, I grew up in Cincinnati. The Cincinnati Bengals, I I don't mean to be disloyal to Cincinnati, but they are not very good. And so most of the, uh, instead of liking football, a lot of people there would coalesce around the local basketball team, specifically college basketball. The so Bearcats. The Bearcats, exactly, exactly. Isn't Xavier way better? Is Xavier what, the Knights? I don't know what Xavier's basketball team is called. <laughs> We're about to get hate mail. Yeah. They're yeah, I don't, I don't know what Xavier's Daddy, basketball right? team is called. But definitely um, among the people that I knew who wanted to support some local Cincinnati team and could not, with any degree of enthusiasm, get themselves to become Bengals fans, but everyone is... Yeah, it did. Yeah. Yeah. Super. Still, okay. everyone, everyone would coalesce around either the Reds or the Cincinnati Bearcats. So everyone was either baseball or basketball, Reds or Bearcats. The Musketeers. Oh, that's right. It's the Musketeers. Afraid of a Musketeer. Right. Oh, no, I, I was thinking Mouseketeer. I'm sorry. Mouseketeer. <laughs> Who's the leader of the club? Z A V I E R. Starts with an X. X, okay. X, I. Yeah. Oh. X Xavier. Xavier yes. Universe. X Xavier. X Xavier. Yes. So, yeah, Reds or Bearcats is the moral of the story. For, well, and the Reds are fun too. And I like that stadium. That's a, that's a fun baseball stadium. So, for those of you wondering when this discussion is going to end and we're going to answer the trivia question, Ow. we're going to do that right. Stat. Let's get that done now that we've got Paula's uh, Cincinnati history out of the way. Uh, we, we play a a year long competition between our three competitors here, OG, Paula, and Roger. You today are filling in for Mr. Len Penzo, who has won the last two years in a row. And this year he got off on week number one last week is now leading one zero zero. So that means that you, unfortunately, Roger have to guess first, what amount of money what amount of revenue did the NBA bring in in 2019-2020? So I recall the last time I was on this show, we had a Disney question. I answered off the cuff, but I don't know if it was OG or Paula that really went through analysis. Are we talking about just gate revenue or concessions or We're merchandise? We're talking about they, all revenue. They were really, really analytical about it. But yeah. I got it correct. And I don't know anything about Disney. So I'm hold, I'm still hanging on to that big win. So I'm just going to not do any of that analysis and just throw a number out there and say 780 
billion dollars a year. $780 billion for the league. Is this what you say with clients and meetings too? You're like, you know, these, these other advisors do analysis, but I'm not going to do any of this. I'm just going to say a number number and you're going to get it. (laughs) And mine will be no less wrong than every other advisors. They're all wrong numbers. That's uh, how I pay my estimated quarterly taxes. I just type <laughs> random numbers in. <laughs> there you go. The IRS loves you. What check what will not bounce? Quarterly payments. <laughs> say, say it again. I said what are estimated quarterly payments. <laughs> oh, you have to do those? Yeah. Uh, out. Don't worry. OG, uh, because Paula finished, unfortunately, last last year. That means you're up next, my friend. So Roger's guess is... Uh, 780B. The more than the revenue of Apple and Microsoft and Amazon all put together. Awesome. Uh, I think he's just Welcome, a little high. <laughs> the enterprise value of, of NBA would be, it would eclipse that of all the publicly traded companies if they did 700 billion of revenue. So I'm going to say the number is roughly 1% of that. I think the TV contracts are worth a couple billion and then throwing some ticket sales and stuff like that. So I'm going to say, uh, Six and a half billion. 6.5 B's. Well, Paula, that gives you a little, there's a little room there. There's some wiggle like room. The price is right. If I'm close but over, I'm still okay, right? You are still okay, yes. Okay, close, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but but he might be, Paula, so you might want to, you know, guess up there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> 300 million. What's the difference? See what happens. Uh, so fundamentally, the question is, do I think that the number is higher or lower than what OG said? Oof. I'm going to guess 6.49 billion. 6.49 billion. So if it's 6.49999, OG wins. Wow, I am screwed. <laughs> That's right. I'd love to tell you who won, but uh, we're going to have to wait just a minute for that. Well, if you're an active duty service member, veteran, DOD civilian, or military family member, you can join Navy Federal. That means if you've served in any branch of the military, you can join Navy Federal Credit Union. On average, Navy Federal members earn and save 3611 more per year. You could pay no fees, get low rates and rate discounts, plus earn cash back and grow your savings. Have a large credit card balance after the holidays? Let Navy Federal Credit Union help you rebalance your priorities. Make a plan to do away with high-interest credit card debt and transfer your balance to a Navy Federal credit card. With a low intro APR, no balance transfer fees, you can pick the right card to help you take back control. Visit NavyFederal.org. It's NavyFederal.org. Navy Federal Credit Union, our members are our mission. Insured by NCUA, dollar value of Navy Federal's 2019 member give back study, 25.9-9 to 18% variable APRs based on product type and creditworthiness, up to $1 cash advance transaction fee at non-Navy Federal ATMs. And if you pay your credit cards off in full like you should every month, you want yourself something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of the first year automatically with no limit on how much you can earn and how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing because of all the places Discover's accepted, 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. Raji came out swinging. $780 billion might be slightly higher than OG Impala. What are you going to do? Like Casey at bat, you know? You got to take a swing. for it. 
I'm waiting for it. If you don't swing. I'm thinking big in 2021. I am thinking big. There it is. OG, how about you? Six and a half billion. You feeling good? Loving it. And Paula, you've got everything south of six. 0.49 0.49 billion. So yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a wide range. That's a good range of numbers. And Paul is like, because there's six basketball teams on Earth, it can't be more than like 82 bucks. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> there's the Musketeers and the Bearcats, and I don't think there are any more. I think there there might only be two teams. That's it. That's all. Well, Doug's got the answer here, Doug. And they're not even NBA actually. They're, <laughs> they're not. Enlighten us, Doug. Hey, stackers, I'm back with your trivia answer. But I was thinking, maybe there's room for a new sport. Wait till I share the answer to today's question. Basketball makes a ton of money, and we can grab some of that dough. Just hear me out. I've done a lot of thinking here. What about these potentialities? Now, might only catch on regionally, but what if I charged people to watch how many cookies we can eat in Joe's mom's kitchen before she catches on and smacks somebody? Ten bucks a ticket? Or how about this? And this is a game we play already here for free. But man, could we upcharge this one? How many post-it notes can you put on OG's back before he catches on? Everybody bets ahead of time, and then we capture all that rage on film. Practically made for television. And Barstool Sports is going to be all over it. They love that stupid shit. Or, stick with me on this, what if we created a sport where we send random listeners into Joe's mom's room while she's sleeping to retrieve a hidden item without waking her up? I've tried that before, and let's just say we could name it the National Don't Wake the Dragon Spectacular. Seriously, like the Super Bowl, but without makeup and uh, with a hairnet. What do you think? Let me know which game you think has the most star potential. Before I go finish up all the rules, let's get back to today's trivia. Question was, how much was NBA revenue in 2019-2020? Because of the strange COVID-filled season, the revenue for the NBA dropped 10%, which was still a whopping $8.3 billion. I can't wait to blow that number out of the water when my new hit game starts rolling. See ya! Whoa! COVID just screwed me. (laughs) I would have been close. If I had only guessed on the other side. Yeah, I think Paula had a better chance there, Roger, than than, than you might have. COVID and the suspensions just messed it all up. There it is. I only guessed (laughs) 6.51. I think we can all do that though, Roger, don't you? Like if something bagged happens, you just blame, I'm sorry, that was COVID. That was COVID. I'm sorry. I think that's a good out. Yes, there it is. Now, when we talk about Disney, though, you remember Disney? That was Those were good times. <laughs> he's he's going to go back. Remember that one time I won trivia? That one time. <laughs> it was one time, by the way. Yes. Nice job, OG. You were close, too. I mean, you were, what, within a billion and a half? <laughs> Pocket change to a guy like you, I know. Right? I was just thinking, just give me the difference between those two numbers and I'm fine. Well, before OG gloats too much, let's take out the magnifying glass and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to us courtesy of magnifymoney.com. Roger Whitney, when you go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, you know what happens? What? <laughs> you, 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 I think that's exactly what you said last time. Like, I don't know. 
I'm, you magnify money? I'm on the show like several times a year. I still have no idea what the hell magnify money does. You go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, Roger. And you know what you see? You see all those financial products you use every day at your local brick and mortar bank. Totally not as good as a lot of the ones online because they rate over 92% of all the stuff out there head to head against each other. Checking accounts, savings accounts, credit cards, reward programs. It's all there. Stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Isn't that great? That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we're going to help John magnify his money. Say hi, John. Hey, Joe and OG. This is John in Seattle. You guys know I have four kids. I'm starting to think about paying for college. I remember one time you had Pam Andrews, the scholarship shark, on the show, and she mentioned working with a past client who looked at the way that family contributions are factored into FAFSAs, and he determined that it didn't make sense to have an emergency fund in cash. Instead, he decided to dump all of his cash into accelerated payments on his mortgage and get a HELOC set up. The thought being that equity in a home can't be factored by FAFSA, and if he ever had an emergency, he could handle it quickly with credit cards and then pay off the card with his HELOC and effectively still be able to tap those funds while keeping them sheltered. I recently heard Bigger and on Doc G's show mention the same approach. Well, my kids are in private school now, and we have to do a version of something like FAFSA, even now for financial aid, so I'm contemplating trying this approach. 1. I know that a bank can always arbitrarily close a HELOC, so there is some potential risk there. I have about $60,000 in savings as a combination of an emergency fund and some other targeted savings. I'm thinking I wouldn't put it all in, but maybe reduce it by about two-thirds. So, my question, what am I missing? Is this a colossally bad idea, or does it make sense? Anything else I should watch out for? Second, we already have the HELOC set up with a balance of zero. If I move forward on this plan, does it make sense to put it into the mortgage, like I mentioned above, or should I use it to fully fund our Roths and or offset regular expenses while redirecting my paycheck into maxing out a 401k? Either way, that result would be sheltering the funds from an aid assessment, but still having access to them if I needed. What do you think? Thanks, John, for that question. And uh, great to hear your voice, my friend. Let's go. We'll go to the financial planners here in a second. Uh, Paula. Oh, no. You go to the worst person first. (laughs) Well, 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 I'll tell you what. Paula doesn't have children. I just thought we'll get, we'll, I'm sure though. You, I've, I've got no kids and I'm not a financial planner. So right. I'm the least equipped person to answer this question. So I'm just going to volley it to the financial planners and whatever they say, I'm going to respond to with ditto. Well, I, no, I was going to ask you if you had any just thoughts before I hand over the nerdy FAFSA stuff to them. Mm. I mean, my impression from the way that he asked his this question is that he has already done a lot of research and contemplated this from a lot of different angles. The fact that he acknowledged in his voicemail that the bank could arbitrarily close the HELOC at any time. And therefore that, you know, that is a weakness in his system. You know, the fact that he recognizes that off the bat actually gives me some confidence in him since he does see where the weaknesses in, in the plot already exist. So, you know, I think, I think what he's suggesting, and again, I am not the appropriate person to be talking to about kind of gaming FAFSA, but I think that what he is suggesting on its face makes a good deal of sense with the asterisk that that the risk that he discussed in his voicemail is genuinely a risk. Roger, let's handle the more nerdy stuff. What do you think about uh, bearing the reserve and making FAFSA look better? Have I ever talked about airbags before? (laughs) (laughs) Could a HELOC be his airbag, Roger? A HELOC, actually a HELOC could be an airbag. I opened up a HELOC, have never tapped it, right around COVID. 
because it was such an unknown. I wanted to at least have the option of that. So I do think opening up a Roger, you should have put it all in Tesla options. No kidding. If I wanted to optimize it, I should have. And, and Tesla calls. I didn't. That's why I'm still talking to you guys. That's right. Um, Me neither, which is why I'm still here too. (laughs) And the one thing I did not hear in his analysis is how much meat is on, on this bone? How much could he reasonably qualify for if he went to 20 in reserves rather than 60? I don't know anything about FASPA. When my kids went to college, I just chose not to go through the the pain of filling it all out because I've had the means to be able to pay for it and felt fine doing that. I'm not a big fan of it, mainly because it's a little bit too cute for me. And I don't know how much meat is on the bone of how much he could actually qualify for if he did this in terms of aid. I mean, it could be a hundred dollar grant or it could be tens of thousands of dollars. That That's really important to know. And what it doesn't account for is that slack we talked about of, you know, similar to the case study they we're doing this month of 60,000 may seem reasonable. Now, 20,000 could really put you in a jam given right circumstances. And is it worth it? So I'm, I'm personally not a big fan of this type of optimization. And OG, I come to you last because I think of the three people here, not only do you have kids that are close to, I think, the age of John's kids, but also you're helping people with FAFSA, I would think, a few times a year. So FAFSA-wise, is this worth it? Uh, Yeah, we don't do a lot of FAFSA stuff either. I think uh, it's slimy as That's what I think. You're sending your kids to private school and you're trying to game it? Come on. Send your kids to public school then. And you've got all the money in the world. Boom. Problem solved. I think I'm with Roger. Like, it just seems like there's probably not a lot of opportunity there, you know, and I'm all for taking full advantage of all the tax loopholes that you can come up with and like all that other sort of stuff. But when you get into like private enterprise, especially when it comes to like the private school world, some of them are there for you hear about the stories of the families that are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for you know, boarding school and wherever, some, some, some mythical place. I don't even know where they have those schools. But Hogwarts. Yes. I don't, <laughs> you beat me I, to I, it. I don't think that this is, I don't think that's where John's kids go. So maybe his kids are going to a school because of, you know, a specialization that they are going after. Maybe they're just really good, like Juilliard or something, you know, there's really good musicians. Or maybe they have some learning issues and this school specializes in it. And, uh, or maybe the public schools around are not strong. And he's like, hey, I got to try to go to the private school route. So every time that you have the ability to do that and then you figure out a way to like get around, you pay in your five grand, even though you've got the means to do it, it makes it so that the next people have to pay six grand. You know, Joe's looking at me like, this is a side of OG I've never seen before. (laughs) An ethical side. Who knew? (laughs) Who are you? Wow. Like, uh. Uh, it's a very libertarian view. I know, you know, now on the college front, first of all, they're changing the FAFSA, right? So like the whole like expected family contribution thing is going away and, and there's other new things. They're just calling it some different new calculations and stuff. So more to follow on that. So the plan may be moot anyway with the new changes, but, but it really, I I feel gross about it on the, on the private school side of things. 
I know Pam, uh, the scholarship shark really well. And when she's helping people with some of that FAFSA stuff, it is, uh, for people that are borderline that are already getting some, they're already there. They haven't, they maybe have or haven't saved enough money to get there and it's competitive. And for John, it's competitive as well. Here's the thing that, that I'm wondering is when it comes to the FAFSA, he's got 60,000 in savings. So there's two different numbers that you're looking at. The parents are allowed to keep X amount of money in non-qualified assets. And the student is allowed to have $0 in non-qualified assets. And, and by the way, this all makes sense. Parents should be allowed to have some sort of an emergency fund and not have that held against them, right? To send junior to college. But then a bunch of their money needs to go to pay for college before somebody else starts paying. So, so that's number one. For junior, every dollar junior has in their name needs to be spent for college, should be spent for college. That's, that's how the government looks at it. Yeah. That, that's the way the government looks at it, which, which I get that rationale. I'm not sure. So question number one I ask myself is reducing it from 60 to 20. Does that do anything? How big is that reserve that they let you have? I'm sure there's a Google search there. I'm sure I could look it up, but on the fly, just having heard this number right now, that's the first thing I do is look at does 60 to 20 do anything. The second thing though, is there's also an income component. And for some people, you just make too much money to, for, for FAFSA to really even matter. And even if well, that's he- his point, like I'll, I'll give you this a little difference. So that was his second part was his second part was if I just jack up all my contributions, then effectively I'll lower my income enough. I had a client who was doing this for college for his daughter. The situation was something along just kind of broad brushstrokes here, but basically really close to qualifying for a tax credit for college, but was just over the income. And so what he decided to do was, hey, if I increase my savings, if I increase my 401k contributions, then my earned income is going to drop below this number. I'm going to get this tax credit, uh, which will help for college. And it was like a double benefit. It wasn't like he got 2000 bucks off his tuition because he kind of moved the money around. He got a $2,000 tax credit. Now, I guess you could argue, well, isn't that kind of the same thing you're just saying that $2,000 tax credit came from somebody along the way? Sure. But it feels a lot different. You know what I mean? But if he's making not that much money and private school is important to him right now for his kids, learning disability, whatever it might be. Number one, I think holding that against him, I'm not holding that against him. No, no. Listen, here's the thing. If you have the ability to pay for it and you're trying to game the system, that's slimy. If you don't have the ability to pay for it and for whatever reason you need to, you're a dollar over the limit or something like that. And you're like, oh, if I kind of move the deck chairs around a little bit on the Titanic, I'll get a few extra bucks. Okay, fine. But I think about it like the whole car insurance thing. If you're on track for all of your goals and you're on track for all of your, you know, you have the ability to save for your kid's college, you have the ability to save for your retirement, you're managing your debt responsibly, you're still doing all the stuff that you want to do. Are you going to get to the end of your life and be like, I stuck it to those private school SOPs, man. I got another 20 grand out of them. Give me a break. Just be happy that you were in a position to be able to write the check. And if you can't, then yeah, take advantage of whatever programs are available to you. But if John better not be throwing down 300 grand a year trying to do this, because I will. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, and not that, uh, and again, with a caveat that I I don't know much about the world of FAFSA or uh, this topic is in no way 
my area of expertise, but just anecdotally, I lived in a very poor public school district. And so my parents sent me to a Catholic school just because it, it was cheaper for them to, the Catholic, we were Hindu. Um, so I was the token Hindu in Catholic school. It was cheaper for them to send me to Catholic school than it would have been for them to move to a home in a better public school district. And the Catholic schools that they sent me to, um, K through eight, the tuition, my tuition was $1,000 per year. If I had been part of the archdiocese, it would have been 500 a year. As a non-Catholic, it was 1000 And then high school was $5,000 a year. And so K through eight, FAFSA or any of those financial aid programs didn't I th- even- mm-hmm. I thought you were about to say, so K through eight, I was Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went back. <laughs> exactly. That would, that would check the box as slimy as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's what I mean. Like yes. that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, and I think the fundamental question here, too, is within legality, right? If we're in legality, we're all going to have to decide how much we're trying to optimize everything. And some of it is creating more complication. And some of it starts to get to where it feels like it's gaming the system. Yeah. And everybody's going to have a little different line there right. uh, of yeah. where those optimization and gaming the system. So I, I yeah. get what OG's saying. Paula? But where I was going with that is K through eight, there were there was no financial aid given because the maximum that you would pay is a thousand dollars a year in high school, though, five thousand dollars. That was a significant amount of money, uh, significant enough that there were financial aid applications and, and programs. And the main way, at least within my high school, the main way that people qualified for financial aid was, you know, I don't know how the system worked, if it was a FAFSA or if it was some form that the school themselves administered. I have no idea how any of that worked. But I do know that a lot of the students who received financial aid received it in the form of work study opportunities. So they would essentially have what amounted to a part time job working for the high school, you know, shelving books in the library or, I don't know, wiping down the basketballs in the basketball court. You know, they would essentially work jobs for the high school that then earned them a credit towards their tuition. And so I think another component of uh, the discussion around financial aid when it comes to private schools is what type of financial aid would he be getting? You know, would it come in the form of a scholarship that's being paid by donors or would it come in the form of essentially his kids getting jobs at that school? And, And that might be a portion of the discussion around the ethics of receiving aid when you could otherwise afford to write a check. Yeah. I think at the very least, there's some figuring out what the numbers even mean. How much income sets the limit that FAFSA is going to need to see? And then that 60,000 to 20,000 move. Back when I was a financial planner, we had software that I would use and I would walk through using the FAFSA software program and it would spit out what the how much that would change the expected family contribution. And we could get right back to what Roger was talking about initially, which is how much does this even matter? Because to all your points, going through this, is it going to really make a difference? Thanks for the question, John. Nice question. We got oh, we got on to that one. Uh, if you've got a question for us, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And if you're on your phone or if you have a microphone with your computer, you just hit the little button, leave us a message, and you can hear us fight about your question too. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. That's going to do it for today, guys. Man, what a fun episode. OG, what do you got going on this weekend? Uh, well, I was supposed to be in the Caymans this week, 
but apparently you can't go. So um, I have nothing going on. Well, now you'd be the only one. So social distancing, right? Just, uh, the last person that went there that wasn't supposed to, they threw in jail. So I was like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of serious about it. So I'm not going to try to. Although they do have a program, in case anybody's interested, that you can apply to two years, no visa required. You got to apply to it and uh, you can work from home in the Caymans, which uh, could be cool. Uh, so I'll just be thinking about the Caymans and um, doing nothing at all whatsoever. Pull out those red red leather pants and see if they still fit you. That'd be interesting. When he goes to the Caymans? I haven't got pants for the Cayman trip, just in case. If he texted me and said, I'm in hot red leather pants in a Cayman Islands jail, come bail me out. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now that would be a song. There's a story coming. <laughs> there, there might be. Paula, what's going on at the Afford Anything podcast? On the Afford Anything podcast, we have Rachel Cruz coming on the show, the All daughter right. of Dave Ramsey, who's going to talk about the importance of self-knowledge so that, uh, you know, if the better you understand yourself, your personality, your drives, your motivations, the better you can manage your money. So that behavioral finance discussion is what we're going to be talking about with Rachel Cruz on the Afford Anything podcast. But d- did you ask her if she's ever Peter Pants on stage? Oh, no. Is oh. That- is that a reference to another personal finance person who has? Yes. This one right here, baby. You peed your pants on stage? No, I asked her about peeing her pants on stage. I found oh, out shit. from a friend that Rachel peed her pants on stage one time. We had some. Huh? It, it, You're but, such a gentleman. Well, I have to say <laughs> wow. the fact that she completely owns that and was, and we were laughing about it that she just had too much water. It was a 45 minute thing. And she got like four minutes away from the end of the speech and just had to, just had to let it go. Wow. Yes. How about that? But you know, but that's what you like about Rachel Cruz is that she's just honest. She is who she is. I mean, yeah. Fun person to talk to. Yeah, she is. I, I really enjoy talking to her. Mr. Whitney. Thanks for joining us again. You bet. Uh, so right now we're in the middle of our case study, retirement. Plan I heard lives. that. I heard yes. that. With Trish. And it's uh, it's a really interesting one because she worked at this company for 30 years and she's a little pissed about being let go early. So it's not just the financial side of things. And on the 28th of this month, we're going to have a live reveal of can she retire or will she have to get, have to get a new job? You can find out more about that at live at Roger or livewithroger.com. But we also get into this non-financial stuff of dealing with who is she? Her identity has been taken away from her and her friends, a lot of her friends have been taken away suddenly. So uh, we're enjoying, we're rocking through the case study. That is the emotional component of retirement. Much bigger issue than people realize. Such a, such a big part. And I'm looking forward to this reveal because I've been wondering for like seven or eight years if Trish is going to be able to retire. So this is good. You will find out on the 28th. I don't even know who Trish is. <laughs> you see me seven years ago. Cheryl, I just, man, I hope that Trish woman that's going to be on Roger's show seven years from now that she's able to retire. With your curly hair walking down the street. Back then? Yeah. Back then, yes. Ba- back when I had hair. Did you, did you just make a bald <laughs> joke? We used to do a bald joke here at the end of the day. It's, thank you for Roger coming on for the last time. That was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> 
goodness. And on that note, Doug, you got it from here, my friend. What should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our roundtable. Whenever you experience unexpected events, make sure to take time to evaluate, reprioritize your goals, and set small goals to get yourself back on track. Second, take a lesson from Doug Goldstein. Happiness? By practicing gratitude systematically, you'll find yourself happier much more often. Try it. You'll love it. But the big takeaway? I presented Joe with some solid winners, and he said my sports suggestions are, and I quote, straight trash, and that I should stay with tried and true options. Just you wait, Joel. The Don't Awake the Dragon Spectacular will be the next big hit on ESPN. A special thanks to Roger Whitney for joining us on the roundtable today. You can check out Roger's award-winning podcast, Retirement Answer Man, anywhere you're listening to this podcast. Also, a special thanks to Doug Goldstein for joining Joe to talk about his gratitude journal. Find his journal at constant-happiness.com. We'll have a link to Roger and Doug's podcasts and the journal at our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of affordanything.com and the Afford Anything podcast. This show is created by Joe Saul Seahigh, produced by Karen Rapine, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I really thought doing these credits completely naked would have been a lot more fun than it actually was. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. It appears I've fallen and I can't get up. OG is now posting pictures for everybody of how he looks in his red pants. And that's very disturbing. That last one was a little disturbing. Uh, <laughs> Put it back on. I need gonna, to take a screenshot of it. Might be a bridge too I'm far. I have to. Uh, problem is, is that now my Google search has got some weird crap <laughs> in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take a while of unwinding that because Google latches on to whatever the hell you're latching onto pretty quick. Mrs. OG is browsing Facebook later.
all of a sudden, yeah. Yeah. Why, why do they think she's looking for companionship? Red chap. (laughs) That's probably what attracted her to you in the first place was those pants. I agree. That's, that's uh, one of many things, Roger. You know, we were talking about this unexpected. Obviously, nobody called COVID before it happened. So that kind of did. You kind of did. You said back in 2019, halfway through, you know, 2020 was going to have a year where we're just completely shut down. Don't you remember? Somebody found it or we found it. I literally said a global pandemic in Uh, a show. You actually did. That is true. So, however, I I don't want to, I don't really want to point out the obvious, but I kind of did call it. There's also some unexpected expenses you've had. And I gave you guys this homework. What's a big unexpected expense? Some big money that came out of your pocket that you didn't expect at the time. I had a great one uh, last week. Really? Yeah, it was great. It was awesome. It was my favorite. (laughs) So in Texas, as you know, your sticker expires, your license license for your car, whatever, your license tab. And uh, they let you know 90 days in advance. They send you a little email or a little thing in the mail that says, hey, and you got to get an inspection. And then you go online after your inspection's done and you get a new sticker. You know, email to your mail to you. And so uh, the car that my wife drives all the time expires in December. And I said, hey, in October, I'm like, go get your inspection. Go get your inspection. Go get your inspection. Go get your... So finally, it's like December 30th. The sticker expires the next day. And my my resolution uh, recently has been to not pay like stupid penalties. Like I'm okay. Like if you got to pay interest, that's like, whatever. Like life is what life is. But if if you can avoid the like $10 like stupid fee, just because you're a day off, you know, that sort of thing. It just, you know, I'm just yeah. trying to be cognizant of that. So I'm like, God, now it's like the 30th. I got to go out and go get an inspection. And, you know, and those things are stupid because they try to upsell you like crazy. So I drive the thing over there. The guy pulls it in, pulls it right back out and goes, yeah, you need new tires. And I'm like, what? Give me a break. I don't need new tire. I look at him. I go, and they're bald. And so I drive it home and I gave it the keys to my wife and I go, this is your problem now. It's your car. I'm, I'm like, my blood is boiling fix it. That went over great. Well, I mean, she knew what battles to fight. She had 90 days to do it. It was her car. So she was on the 89th day and I was doing it. And so because I was being all self-important and going, that's your problem now. She came back. She goes, anyway, yeah, you know, those tires are pretty expensive. I'm like, which are the tires? She's like, I was like 1200 bucks or a thousand bucks. I'm like, what kind of tires did you buy for a minivan? She's like, I don't know. The guy just said, these are the ones we need. I'm like, like just, they obviously don't work for 80,000 miles. Like the guy told us last time, get the freaking 20,000 mile ones, apparently. Anyway, so last week I got to spend $1,000 on freaking Toyotas, on Toyotas, on tires for the Toyota, which felt like spending $1,000 on Toyotas. So did she get the, you think she got the upsell routine? No, she did buy the same ones that we had before. So whatever. But um, anyways, it's just. Have you guys heard, I played uh, back on our, our Magic Ape episodes and Brian Regan, but Brian Regan has a refrigerator salesman and maybe a little upselling. We needed a refrigerator for our new place, and I, I've never bought a refrigerator in my whole life. I, I went into the appliance store. There's like a 900 of them lined up. There's a salesman there. What's this guy supposed to say about refrigerators? Well, you have this refrigerator right here. This keeps all your food cold for 600 got this refrigerator this keeps all your food cold for 800 check this out 1400 keeps all your food cold 
So this guy's working me on this one. I've never seen a guy work so hard. This one is a very nice refrigerator. It has a meat drawer. And um, what you do with that... You would, you would put meats. I love that routine. So, so good. OG, Mrs. OG got that treatment about tires. You got these tires that are 800. Yeah. They go round and round. <laughs> they, <laughs> they do. Thousand bucks. I don't like that. Roger, so I got, beat yeah, that I got one. one for you. I got one for you. So about a year ago, we heard scratching in the attic. Which, yeah, we got which, a mouse. Which, we got oh, a mouse. you went with mouse. I always go with extra, with uh, ghosts. Uh, Ghosts. <laughs> yes. Grandma wants out and she's been dead for X number of years. Well, it wasn't that. It wasn't a ghost. It wasn't a grandma. It was. And so we put some traps yeah. up there. That would be a whole different story. If it was a grandma, <laughs> it would be. I, would, I wouldn't be talking <laughs> about that. It was sure. my grandma. All of a sudden, grandma Talk comes down. So we put some traps up there, catch a rat or two. And uh, scratching still happening. So finally, we call in a professional. And they come in, they go upstairs. Evidently, we had a condominium of rats in our attic spaces. A over 40 rats. 40? You had 40? Burn it to I'm the telling ground. you, it was a condo. It was a high rise. And so the way you, you take care of that is you have to get Burn rid of all the insulation because rats evidently pee nonstop. So we mm. had to... They had to come in and suck all the insulation out. They had this huge round tube and they would suck all the insulation out. And every now and then you'd hear a thump, 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 because they sucked all the rats out with it. By the way, PETA members, <coughs> write your complaints to Roger at <laughs> retirementanswerman.com. And so this, this ordeal to eradicate the rats. Ah, oh, Cost about seven grand. Seven grand. And what I was really upset about was they did it in a day. And I'm like, if this is seven grand, I want a production. You need to be here for a week. <laughs> this show needs to go on. But they did it in you like it. You should have said, are you looking for investors? Is this a franchise opportunity? No kidding. No Holy kidding. And this is what I got from uh, a friend of mine. Is I got all these. Literally, he came into my house and put some these plastic rats all around my house as a joke. A friend. That's a friend. So that's mine. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. 
visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.